I love taking trains. It's such a gentle and civilized way to travel. It was really nice today to get back onto a real train. It's been 20 years since I was on the TGV, and it's such an impressive service. But I often think just as much I like visiting the old train stations. Certainly in Paris is a good example. You can think of cities like London as well, and Brussels, and and so on. I mean, most major European cities have their classic train stations right in the center of the city. So Paris is no exception. Today we started off our day at the Gare de Lyon, which is undergoing quite a bit of uh, reconstruction as they're cleaning up some of the uh, waiting halls and the shops areas, which meant there was hardly any place to really sit. (laughs) We were lucky to find a place against the wall. Uh, Certainly weren't any chairs or benches available. But, you know, you walk into the hall and the train shed and this uh, massive ceiling, lots of space, it's brightly lit. The air comes through. There's people milling around. Of course, you look up on the board and you see all the different destinations. In this case, mostly around France. I noticed a couple trains in the period we were there. Uh, One was heading to Zurich, another one to Germany. And then you see the trains roll in, these sleek-looking TGV trains that roll into the station, slowly slowing down till they get to the end of the line, knowing that a few minutes earlier they were going like 300 kilometers an hour. What's even more impressive at the Gare de Lyon is what they call the Halle numéro 2, or Hall Number 2, which is a long, long corridor. It's a massive room. It kind of reminds you of like the Hall of Mirrors or something at Versailles. It's this massive, long, rectangular-shaped room with a high ceiling, and there's frescoes painted along the walls of various Mediterranean scenes because I believe most of the trains that go to the south of France, they go from the Gare de Lyon. One of the downsides was that this was the first place we came across in Paris that had pay toilets. And you know what happens. One kid has to go. Other kid, do you have to go too? No, I don't have to go. So you take the one kid, and as soon as they come back, the other kid, okay, I gotta go. (laughs) It was one euro each time. I was hopeful that that was something that was being phased out of Paris or even Europe in general, the notion of having to pay for toilets. And I was pleasantly surprised throughout most of Paris that they they had the public toilets. You may have seen in other in various cities the self-cleaning toilets. They even have them in North America where it kind of looks like a kiosk and there's a toilet and a sink inside. It's one person at a time and then it's self-cleaning after you leave and you close the door and it kind of washes itself. And they're free. All the ones that we saw in Paris were free aside from what was at the Gare de Lyon. At any rate, no big deal. We'll see what happens with the rest of our stops here this week. So we get on the TGV and we climb up to the second deck. It's a double-decker train, at least in most cases these days. And what's interesting in Paris and other countries in Europe is that the high-speed rail lines are gradually becoming more and more privatized. It's not just the state-run companies that have a monopoly on their use. The licensing is being opened up to other companies. And even, it's interesting, the French SNCF National Rail Company is moving into other markets like the Spanish market. One of their more recent train brands is called WeGo, O-U-I-G-O, WeGo. And not only are they in France, but they're actually in Spain too. So we're actually taking a WeGo train in a couple days from Barcelona to Madrid. Now, it's kind of budget high-speed rail travel, really, when it comes down to it, because, you know, you get a seat, and that's about it. You have to pay extra if you have any large luggage that you need to store in the luggage racks that cost a few extra euros. You can have hand luggage, of course. 
but they charge you for the luggage racks. Although, interestingly, nobody came along that I saw to check whether we had paid for it. Of course, we, we did, and we put our bags on that rack along with a few other people. But I didn't see anybody checking, you know, who's paid and who hasn't. In fact, I hardly saw any staff at all. They scan your ticket as you go onto the platform, but nobody checks as you're getting onto the train that you're in the right seat. No one comes through to verify. Nobody asks for identification. So between that and the fact that the seats were kind of faded, the corridors, the tables were worn, things like this, it felt like an old train, which certainly may have been the case. So I'm I'm guessing that with the WeGo service, it's likely some of the older carriages that have been repurposed into this budget high-speed train. But, I mean, it was 80 euros for us as a family, two adults and two kids, to get from Paris to Avignon. So, hey, that's not too bad at all. And of course, here is the incredible thing. So we did a journey. I measured it through Google Maps from the Gare du Lyon to Avignon TGV. It was 689 kilometers. That would take seven hours by car, according to them. It took two hours and 45 minutes by high-speed train. I mean, we were almost there before we knew it. And it picks up speed fast. I mean, within the first 10 minutes, you're cruising up close to 300 kilometers an hour. I wish they'd had one of those signs. They Sometimes you see trains with like a digital display in the car and it shows you how fast it's going. Of course, WeGo wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going to have anything like that. And the Wi-Fi wasn't working either. I think because so many people are trying to use it, I asked a passenger in the, in the neighboring seat if this was normal and uh, they said, yeah, you know, it's known for its poor connection. So even if you can connect to the Wi-Fi network, it'll say no internet or just nothing happens, nothing loads. So of course we put the phones away, although it would have been nice to track exactly where we were and kind of follow along with the map and you know, you see some of these nice villages and churches. There are little castles everywhere. As you're going through the countryside, there's like outcroppings of rock, and there's a castle there. I mean, it may be in ruins or broken down, or there's like a tower left, and who knows if anybody lives there, maybe abandoned, but there's these little castles kind of popping up all over the place in the countryside. And France is, at minimum, quite rolling countryside, too. What was amazing, I hadn't expected this, we bypassed Lyon, I know that, and then we kind of went down, it would have been west-southwest of uh, Grenoble, and Grenoble is on the doorstep of the French Alps, so we could see a little bit of the Alps off in the distance with snow-capped mountains. And then you get into these quite pronounced massifs of rock as you get closer to the south of France and Provence, and we were getting closer to Avignon. So it's far from flat countryside by any means. This is quite hilly and even small mountains with the Alps way off in the distance. As the TGV approaches Avignon, you see the town down below along the Rhone River. You see the Palais des Papes, the Palace of the Popes. I couldn't see the bridge from where we were, but they see the palace because it really stands out in the town. And the train stops at the Avignon TGV station, which is just outside of the town of Avignon. Then it carries on to Marseille. So you have to change trains and take another eight-minute local train from the TGV station into Avignon Central Station. From there was about a 10-minute walk to our Airbnb. And this place is beautiful. It's this neat little apartment that overlooks the main central square in Avignon. Quite modernized with the little kitchen and the bathroom. The sofa turns into a double bed, which is quite common practice here. And then there's another double bed in the same room, like the living room, bedroom. It's all basically one room. So it's quite a small apartment, but it's everything we need. And we're only here for one night, which at first, my first thought was, well, as you start walking into Avignon, it's this beautiful little town. And you know that this place has been here for, I think, well over a thousand years. Most of the buildings that you see in the old churches and, of course, the Palace of the Popes. I mean, this has been here for seven or eight hundred years. You feel you're in a very, very historic place. So my first thought was, gee, maybe we should have spent more time here. 
But uh, after spending an evening, at least at this time of year, I realized, well, there's not a whole lot else that we could do. Most of the restaurants were closed. You see the signs on the windows that says they're off for their winter vacation, which makes sense because this place must just be buzzing here in the summertime as boatloads of tourists and busloads come through and there'd be people everywhere. So if anyone's going to get a break from the tourist season, it's going to be now in January. It was really hard for us to find a restaurant, a place to eat. We almost just had to resort to either fast food or maybe another grocery store. But we wanted to have a nice sit-down restaurant. And in the end, we did, actually, just around the corner from where our apartment was. But we will be moving on in the morning, taking another train, first to Montpellier, which is just over an hour from here, and then we'll have about two and a half hours, actually, in Montpellier. We'll see how we feel. Of course, we're lugging our big backpacks around, but we might be able to walk around a little bit, see some of the town, and then get back on another train, which will take us straight to Barcelona, underneath the Pyrenees Mountains. Apparently, there's a massive new railway tunnel, which will take us under the mountains, but I'm hoping that we'll see a fair bit of them, too. Now, you're probably wondering, Avignon, you're thinking of the song, Did We Make It to the Bridge? (laughs) Well, here is the plan. I knew that we didn't want to catch a train very early today. I could imagine hustling the kids out the door. Some Airbnb in Paris was like the other side of the city from the train station, and it would have been pretty iffy to try to catch a train even at like 9.30 in the morning. So I purposely found one that was 12.30 in the afternoon, which was fine. We made it there with lots of time, and everything was great. And of course, as you know, it only took like two hours, 45 minutes to get here. Then the other train into the actual town. So by the time we got here, it was about four o'clock. We had to find the apartment, which of course is in a twisty little alleyway and meet the person there. And she gave us the key and kind of showed us around. And all the time I was watching my clock because the tickets to get onto the Pont d'Avignon close at 4.30. The actual bridge closes at five o'clock, but you have to be there by 4.30 or they won't let you in. So we didn't say anything to the kids at first, you know, whether we would or wouldn't go because I didn't want them to be disappointed. But I knew that there was a chance. If everything fell into place, the trains were on time, which they certainly were, if we were to get to the apartment in time, leave our bags, then we could just make it to the bridge because it was only like a five-minute walk from where we were. So we left the apartment at 4.20. We had 10 minutes to get there. We got there at 4.26, and the first question they asked was, do you have tickets already? And they said no. And then they checked the time. They kind of go into the office and make sure there's enough time. There are four minutes left, so they sold us uh, tickets. Kids are free, and adults are five euros each to go onto the Pont d'Avignon. You might think it's free and you just kind of wander in, but in fact, it is a a gated thing. It's a protected thing. It does close at the end of the day. Now, that would be later if it was in the middle of summer. I think it closes at 7 p.m., but at this time of year, it's 5 p.m. So you do have to be there in time if you're going to walk on it. But we made it. And the flip side of all this, imagine we had the whole bridge to ourselves. There was a couple just walking off of it, but then we had the entire bridge to ourselves. It felt like a beautiful spring day here today. It was nice and sunny. There was a few clouds, but it was blue sky. It was sunny. It was like 16 degrees Celsius. You could see those mountains off in the distance. And we had this whole beautiful bridge to ourselves. Now, the Pont d'Avignon is only half a bridge, and it's been that way for, I think, at least 300 years. Because of all the infamous floods of the Rhone River, eventually it would always kind of wash away parts of the bridge, as I learned. They would be constantly rebuilding it and replacing the pylons, which they built into the middle of the river with caissons. Imagine them doing this, like, you know, five, 600 years ago, building these caissons, pumping out the water, 
driving the pilings into the bottom of the river, stacking the stones, filling it all in. And they would have to replace these things often that's every year, every couple of years because of the floods. Eventually, I, I guess it just got too much. There was a massive floods, half the bridge washed away, and they never replaced it. I think by that point, there was another bridge. And in fact, I learned that really in the last, I think maybe 100 years or something of the bridge is useful life. It was hardly used at all. It was really just for like pedestrians and horses because it's so narrow. You can never get a carriage or anything like that wider across the bridge. The famous song came about in the 1890s as part of a musical, I believe, some kind of popular opera. And uh, it just took off from there. And there's all kinds of different versions and different languages and different lyrics even. But there we were standing on the Pont d'Avignon, the whole thing to ourselves on a beautiful day with a big part of the satisfaction knowing that we were so close to missing it. We could have walked underneath kind of along the road and seen it from a distance. But of course, you want to walk sur le Pont d'Avignon if you have the chance. And we made it by four minutes. So that was maybe the highlight of the day. Although it was pretty neat taking that train. <laughs> To cap off the evening, we bought a nice bottle of wine, a uh, melange of Grenache and Syrah red wine from the area. There's a wine shop just down the street, like a dedicated wine shop. You can get wine anywhere, but this was a dedicated wine shop. I took a picture of it, all kinds of selection. I was attracted at first by the price because the, even the bottles they put in the window were like eight or nine euros. We went in and were browsing around, and like, I didn't mind splurging a bit more for something even nicer. Well, this was 14 euros. This would cost something like 30 or $40 back in Canada. It was a 2019, and it's a very, very rich wine. <laughs> we're not going to finish that bottle tonight. I had a glass, and that's it. So we're going to have to pour the rest into one of our water bottles or something so we don't waste it. There's still half a bottle left, but uh, that was a nice way to cap off the day. We'll see what else we discover tomorrow. I'm looking forward to seeing a bit of Montpellier. And then getting back to Barcelona, it's been 15, just over 15 years since we were there. We'll just have the one night, but we purposely found a place that's close to the Sagrada Familia so we can see how much it's changed, how much they've added to it. Of course, show the kids. The kids, I think, will really enjoy seeing that. And uh, hopefully we'll have a nice evening in Barcelona before carrying on to Madrid on Sunday. We're moving fast, but that's the plan here. That re I'm really glad that we're doing it this way because we wanted to see a lot and keep moving, spending that bit of extra time, at least in Madrid, a place we've never been before, but knowing that after a really busy week where we're hustling and moving and constantly repacking, doing lots of walking and all this, we'll get to Lisbon and then we stay put for four weeks. So it kind of feels like a mini vacation within a vacation. It's nice to be on the move right now, but we'll definitely enjoy unpacking our bags, have steady access to laundry machines and grocery stores nearby and all that kind of stuff that comes with settling down. And it's all thanks to slow travel. So our train is at 9.30 tomorrow morning. I better call it a night, and we'll check in again tomorrow. Thanks, as always, for listening in.